Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Adam Lasky. This is the Anima Christi podcast. Um, coming to you live from my desk here in Ottawa, Ontario, and uh, beginning the ordinary time season. Um, we started with the baptism of our Lord uh, last Sunday. Um, I also realized that uh, when I made the recording last time that uh, uh, my beard kept rubbing up against the microphone. So we're going to try something different this time. Uh, and again, um, feel free to give me some feedback on the podcasts as you hear them. Uh, again, my email is fatheradamlasky at gmail.com. Um, so today uh, we look at the readings centered around the wedding feast of Cana. And uh, what a beautiful reflection, especially as um, you know, I've been studying canon law during the season and looking at the sacrament of marriage very closely, um, we have to understand uh, two things that have been kind of in the traditional mind of the church regarding the sacrament of marriage. One is the unity of the sacrament and the indissolubility of the sacrament. Um, the unity of the sacrament of marriage looks at um, the fact that these two people are being united and that the bond does not admit of any other entrance into this uh, particular covenant. This is between two people that is meant only to be for them, to be binding, uh, to be something that brings them together and affects in them a certain unity. So if the sacrament is working at something, just like all sacraments work alongside us, it's our work that we do. Of course, we celebrate the Eucharist, we baptize children, we celebrate marriages. But when we enter into a marriage, God helps by giving grace. And in particular, the church points to this passage as the institution of the sacrament of marriage, where Christ enters into the matrimony of these two young people, who we don't even have their names here in Scripture, but what is important is that they are a paradigm of giving themselves one to the other. But as all human relationships are struggling to find the gift of charity, and all human relationships struggle to to make a gift of oneself perfectly such that two become one, that there's perfect unity. Um, every time we look to be perfect, there are going to be struggles. And in this case, um, the wedding feast comes to a head when this poor couple is left without wine. And so uh, in that moment, we see in a natural way, Christ's um, open heart towards the suffering of those people who are in matrimony, in, in the difficulties in marriage where marital charity runs cold, where intimacy becomes uh, disgusting or uh, a burden, where um, you know, there's a struggle to, to be faithful by one or the other parties, when there's a, a struggle with addiction, with pornography, with masturbation, with um, whatever things that bind us in on ourselves, um, Christ wants to walk into a, a marriage and sanctify it. And how does he want to do that? He wants to do that at its very root. So in this case, they're right in the middle of the poverty, the obvious public poverty of this, this couple, where they run out of wine at their wedding feast, which would be you know, a scandal and an insult, of, of, according to uh, most sources, regarding um, all of the families who would have come to the, celebrate the feast with them. And so there they are, and as soon as they run out, that is where the good wine begins. Jesus says, fill the stone jar. And they fill them up with water. And he asks the head waiter for, for a glass to be drawn out and brought to the head waiter. Uh, he knows what he's about. And so where does Christ come in when we make our struggle known to the Lord 
he takes it, blesses it, multiplies it, and makes it beyond what even a reasonable capacity could look and long for. Um, so that's on a natural level. But if we take um, in this image also the potential to be a greater supernatural um, image, what is, does Christ do in each of us? Well, in, in the midst of our poverty spiritually, um, we can't come to Jesus simply complaining. We love to do that. You know, oh, Jesus, you made me this way. God, you made me, you know, such a fool. You're, you're the one who, you know, uh, made me in such a messed up way and in a messed up world. And, and we can start to lay in on ourselves, you know, calling ourselves, you know, idiots or whatever as we look at ourselves. But the focus of this passage isn't to turn in on ourselves, but rather to turn over what is the truth to Christ. Um, I'm reminded of this by um, when I first got the, uh, the invitation from Bishop Powers to go and study canon law in Ottawa. Um, I was very just, you know, afraid of leaving the parish behind, leaving behind what I knew. And so there was a lot of having to just turn over to the Lord that struggle. And so I remember when I first got the call uh, regarding the assignment, I didn't know what the assignment was, but I knew that I was feeling some fear and pain and anxiety about it already. And so just simply naming it before the Lord was a great grace. Just to tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm afraid of leaving the parishioners behind. I'm, I'm afraid of leaving these people who you have called me to love and serve and to walk away from them so that I can do something else. I'm, I'm afraid to leave this behind. And I just had this great sense of peace and just sense that the Lord was going to provide for me When we struggle, when we're at our wit's end to find any human re uh, response, uh, we have to look to Christ. This is what Christ comes to do. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, brings the divine presence into all of our natural realities. And not only that, he brings the miraculous alongside it. Uh, he comes with gifts. And so when we celebrate a sacrament, there is an, a unity that comes about, particularly in the sacrament of marriage. And what does Christ want to do to his church? What, what's clear, especially through the Gospel of John, is that Christ is the new bridegroom. And that might freak us out at first, thinking about Jesus as a bridegroom and the church as a bride. It seems a little odd. Like, well, are we going to get this strange you know, imagery with Christ talking about you know, uh, marital intimacy and other things? But, but it's a fittingness because Christ really does lay down his body for the church. Christ becomes the model for marital intimacy and for marital sacrifice. The way of the cross is the way of marriage. And so when Christ says to his disciples at the Last Supper, this is my body which is given it's a marital imagery. It's one which says, I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. And that's where indissolubility comes into marriage. Indissoluble, it's just like you can't, you know, something non-soluble, you can't put too much salt in the water, right? Indissoluble means you can't dissolve what has already been put together. Um, so we say that at every wedding that we know of what God has brought together, no human being must put asunder. Um, and so this is also part of the sacramental quality of marriage, is that it can't be broken apart. 
Why? Because Christ takes us at our word in the sacraments, and he won't be made a liar. If we ask him to come into this marriage, to bless it, to unite these two people in an un indissoluble bond of matrimony and love and charity, when we ask him to do that, that is a sacrament, and he honors it. He honors it, and it is a bond that they make one to the other. So if for whatever reason the marital relationship starts to fall apart, and the world looks to uh, divorce as being the obvious end, this is not what God intended from the very beginning. And, and it's easy to tell anybody that who's, who's been through divorce, who knows the struggle of feeling like they've lost the intimacy of their closest friend or spouse. But this doesn't mean the church despairs of the salvation of divorced people. It simply says that that sacrament doesn't stop because of the devotion or the lack thereof, of one or the other who are in a marriage, the husband and wife. And so what does that teach us about Christ and his church? Christ does not choose to divorce us. This is part of the covenant um, imagery that comes up again and again, particularly in the image of the prophets. One of God promising himself to his chosen people, like a spouse. And even though they might run after strange gods, which God compares to adultery or spiritual adultery, um, even though they might go after and set up shop, and even in some places, you know, the Israelites get a railing on because through the prophets, they're called harlots. They're called unfaithful spouses. But Christ is the faithful spouse. He is the one who brings true intimacy and life. And not just in a sort of church pew perfection, but rather in an over-the-top, lavish way. Forty gallons of wine in each ceremonial jar, good wine flowing over to the brim. And may the Lord fill us up to the brim. May he bring the unity and indissolubility of every marriage to be an image of Christ's givenness to the church. And so we can encounter him more fully in our day-to-day -day life through the sacrament of matrimony. God bless you.